Um, and then after bringing all this information together, the data ingestion uh, is being executed to uh, the compartmentalization of these information. So they're being allocated to the different departments uh, of, so for example, with water withdrawal or water pollution. Um, some of the packs and some of the, the, the technologies that um, drive these information will be uh, categorized, uh, what we call a taxonomy, uh, depending on uh, which taxonomy you're working with. So, oh. yes, it's very important, AI and Elsa, well, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Have a happy Chinese New Year. That's Elsa Powell, who is the CEO of Wealth Asia Group and the founder of Blue Onion. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Not many markets open this morning. In Australia, the ASX 200 is flat. Futures markets indicating that... Uh, the Hang Seng is going to decline about 200 points at the open. Brent crude oil trading at $61.13 a barrel. Gold, $1,842 an ounce. Money Talk will return after the Lunar New Year holidays next Tuesday. But please do join me tomorrow morning on Radio 3 from 6 to 10 a.m. with a special holiday show of music, guests and chat. In the meantime, from all of us on the Money Talk team, we wish you a very happy, healthy and prosperous Chinese New Year of the Ox. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Triverton and Nixie Lamb. Let me give you an update on the holiday weather. It's going to be cool in the morning, sunny periods during the day, maximum temperature of about 22 degrees. The outlook is for it to be warm during the day with sunny periods in the Lunar New Year holidays. It's 16 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. The government will step up contact tracing after it eases COVID-19 social distancing measures next Thursday, provided case numbers remain stable. Venues, including cinemas, gyms and amusement centres, can reopen, while restaurants can provide dine-in services until 10pm. Customers, though, must use the Leave Home Safe contact tracing app or give personal details. Here's the Health Secretary, Professor Sophia Chan. The relevant licence provider bureau uh, would be responsible for the uh, enforcement plus all the uh, authorised officers and we will of, of course um, check the compliance of the Leave Home Safe app and also do enforcement appropriately. The responsibility or the onus is on the, the restaurant owner and also the uh, premises uh, owner. The second impeachment trial of Donald Trump has begun in earnest, with Democrats arguing he should be convicted of incitement to insurrection. Yesterday, the US Senate rejected arguments that his trial was unconstitutional. Opening the Democrats' case, Jamie Raskin said the former president had abdicated his duty. The evidence will show you that ex-President Trump was no innocent bystander. The evidence will show that he clearly incited the January 6th insurrection. It will show that Donald Trump surrendered his role as commander-in-chief and became the inciter-in-chief of a dangerous insurrection. And this was, as one of our colleagues put it so cogently on January 6th itself, the greatest betrayal of the presidential oath in the history of the United States. The Democrats will have to persuade 17 Republican senators to switch sides to secure the two-thirds majority needed for a conviction. President Biden has approved an executive order to sanction Myanmar's military leaders who directed the coup earlier this month. This is the first use of sanctions by Mr Biden since he took office. The BBC's Nada Tofik reports. 
This executive order paves the way for the administration to not just sanction those military leaders who orchestrated the coup, but also their close family members and business entities linked to them. Many of the generals already face punishment from the United States for atrocities committed against Rohingya Muslims. President Biden said steps were also being taken to block the military's access to one billion in Burmese government funds held in the U.S. If the coup is not reversed, President Biden said he is ready to impose additional measures and to work with international partners for an immediate return to democracy. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today is Nixie Lamb. Nixie, good morning to you. Dual nationality today and a second impeachment trial for Donald Trump. Carrie Lam said this week that Hong Kong is only going by the book when disallowing foreign consulates from offering protection to people with dual citizenship here. And some have gone further, suggesting that anyone gaining a second passport should automatically lose their right to hold concurrently an SAR passport, and saying they should also lose the right of abode in Hong Kong and the right to vote in Hong Kong elections. Is this just a reminder of how things have always been? What impact will it bring to people with more than one nationality uh, in Hong Kong? How will it affect foreign investment? Is it only fair? And should it affect things like the right of abode and voting? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RT. RTHK Radio 3. You can email us backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us. And our number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. And after 9.15, we're going to be discussing the latest on that second impeachment trial of the former US President Donald Trump. Once again, our email backchat at rthk.hk. I asked yesterday for uh, thoughts on uh, whether we should uh, continue to uh, uh, read out uh, emails which are of a fairly sort of a personal nature kind of back and forward between uh, between listeners. We'll, we'll get to that, I think, uh, later uh, in the uh, programme um, towards the end. Let's get into the uh, dual nationality. After 9 o'clock, uh, we're going to be joined by the Consul General of uh, Canada uh, in Hong Kong, uh, Jeff uh, Nankivel. Uh, but joining us now on the line, we have Regina Ip, New People's Party Chairwoman, and Emily Lau, former head of the Democratic Party and a former legislator. Good morning to both of you. Um, uh, Emily Lau, uh, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thanks for, for joining us once again. Um, is this really just, um, as I think uh, 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 Lao Kai said, uh, really just a reminder, this is just uh, how it's always been, in fact? Well, yes, of course. Uh, oh, sorry, can, Emily Lau first, maybe. Okay, right. Well, let's let Regina go, please. Let oh, okay. Very well. <laughs> um, there's nothing new in what the, our Canadian and British consulates uh, announced recently. It's been stated as early as in September 1984 on the publication of the Sino-Pacific Joint Declaration on the Future of Hong Kong in the Chinese Memorandum of Nationality that uh, Hong Kong, all Hong Kong people are Chinese nationals. They can hold foreign passports as travel documents, but they cannot uh, enjoy consular protection in Hong Kong. And it's restated again in the... Um, explanations on how the Chinese nationality law is implemented in Hong Kong of May 15, 1996, you know, um, in, that, uh, in that explanation, the Chinese government clearly stated that, again, all Chinese nationals in Hong Kong are Chinese compatriots. All their foreign passports held are only travel documents, and they are 
they won't be entitled to consular protection in Hong Kong or in any other part of China. So that's nothing new, and all the consulates know about this. Emily Lau? Well, I, I think uh, Regina is right, but what is happening now is that there's at least two uh, governments, the UK and the Canadians, are coming out to tell their citizens that, uh, you know, uh, you better have something to prove that you don't have Chinese nationality, because if something happened, we cannot offer you assistance or protection. And so something must have happened to trigger that. Uh, what Regina said, maybe all along, people who have dual nationality, and as I said on your program before, some have three or four or five nationalities. And there was nothing. Nobody made any complaint. But now, suddenly, these two governments came out and made these statements. So something different is going to happen or is happening. So that's why it's not, uh, it's always been like that. No, Regina, I, I, I want to know. So, because you know, as well as I know, that in Hong Kong, there are probably over a million or more people who have foreign nationality. So, is this going to affect all of them? How are they going to go about making sure uh, that uh, it will not cause them inconvenience or even cause them trouble? Mrs. Yip? There has been no, there has been no trouble with Hong Kong people traveling overseas with foreign passports whatsoever. What triggered the recent concern is the unilateral action taken by the British government to breach their own undertaking back in 1984 in the British nationality on British memorandum on nationality that they will not give BNO passport holders right of a vote in UK. Now they have breached their own promise. They are giving BNO passport holders right of a vote in UK, albeit not automatically. It is still a bespoke route in their own words, which carry new entitlements. Because of that, the Chinese government announced end of last month that they will not recognize BNO passports. But that won't affect the uh, recognition of BNO passport by other governments. You know? BNO passports were issued in 1997, and they have been recognized by many governments around the world. So the Chinese announcement will only affect recognition of BNO passports in Chinese territories. So there's no need to worry. But I think it's right for the consulate to re remind their nationals that don't bet on your, if you are a Chinese national under Chinese nationality law, don't bet on consular protection in Hong Kong. I think that's the right thing to do. Well, first of all, the UK government did what it did because they said China breached the joint declaration and, uh, you know, imposed the nationality, uh, the national security law on Hong Kong. So, so that's all history, okay? But it is only the British who now offer this path to citizenship. But now it seems the, the announcement by the administration and Carrie Lam is that you know, Hong Kong, Chinese, uh, you are all Chinese, uh, you, you, uh, China does not recognize dual nationality. So that seems to affect everybody, anyone and everyone who has foreign citizenship. Is that the case? Or is it that they only are targeting the BNOs? And the BNOs are not British citizens anyway. So you cannot say they now have dual nationality. 
So the whole thing is very, very confusing. So Regina, can you please help to clarify? It's not confusing if you read the Chinese memorandum on nationality of 1984. You know, it states clearly that taking account of historical background of Hong Kong and its realities, meaning that knowing that many Hong Kong people know, hold foreign passports, the Chinese government say they can use these BDTC passports as travel documents, but they cannot get um, consular protection in Hong Kong. And they amplified this in the 1996 May 15th explanation to say that all foreign passports held by Hong Kong people can be used by travel documents, but they cannot enjoy consular protection in Hong Kong. That's nothing new. So this is targeting all the Hong Kong people who hold foreign passports. And not there has been no problem whatsoever. There has been no problem whatsoever. Lots of Hong Kong people have Canadian passports, Australian passports in their back pockets, and they have used those for travel outside China, you know, in I the past 23 years. I agree with you. But now suddenly the two governments, the UK and the Canadians, came out to say, hey, if you were Canadian, Make sure you have documents to prove that, that you are not a Chinese national, because if something to happen to you in Hong Kong, well, uh, well, you, you offer you. Sorry? Well, you have to ask the Canadian Consul General, I think he'll be speaking on this program later, why he has issued the statement recently, what prompted the statement. But I can uh -huh. tell you, you know, the Immigration Department is the agent of the central government in dealing with nationality matters. And we have dealt with many cases of foreign nationals, people who hold German passports, applying for Hong Kong SAR passports. And these cases have been dealt with in the courts. And their eligibility to Hong Kong SAR passports will depend on whether the court is satisfied that they are a Chinese national. So this is nothing new. Uh, Mrs. Yip, will people have to prove that they're not Chinese? If if you uh, if you yes, are you know the according to the Chinese nationality law, all people partly or wholly of Chinese race are Chinese nationals. You know. But there's a, a way to show that if you really want consular protection in Hong Kong. In fact, the Chinese government reminded you subtly in their 1996 explanation that you can renounce Chinese nationality. You know, Chinese nationality law, like other nationality laws, have provisions for acquisition by naturalization, renunciation or resumption. You know, and there have been people who go to, who went to immigration department to apply for naturalization or to renounce Chinese nationality. So I think um, what uh, some foreign governments are saying, if you really want consular protection in Hong Kong, make sure you have the necessary documents such as a document showing that you have re renounced Chinese nationality or some document showing that under Chinese nationality law, you are no longer a Chinese national. So if you wanted to be treated as an Australian or a Canadian uh, in Hong Kong, you should not only carry those passports, but you should carry documentation saying that you are not Chinese. Well, some people might have deliberately renounced um, Chinese nationality. Now, but for people, for example, who got Chinese, a foreign nationality simply by investment, you know, uh, never lived outside China, never actually settled outside China, they might still be regarded as Chinese nationals uh, under the Chinese nationality law. 
What even if they have a passport, even if they have a foreign passport? Well, because my reading, this is my interpretation of Article 9 of the Chinese nationality law is only those who have settled abroad and voluntarily acquired foreign nationality, these people will automatically lose Chinese nationality. It refers to people who are settled abroad. You but know, you... if some people bought a passport by investment, paying money, never settled that, they might not come within Article 9. Uh, but you could renounce, you could still renounce your Chinese yeah, citizenship? You, you, there's a separate procedure for renunciation. The agent in Hong Kong is Immigration Department. They have the delegated authority to deal with such cases. But not uh, all applications are automatically approved. Uh, people can only renounce subject to approval. But is Article this, okay. 11. And, and is this just a question of consular protection? Or, I mean, you've suggested that this, 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 should be, uh, this logic should be applied to things like uh, right of abode in, in Hong Kong and uh, therefore voting rights uh, well, and other benefits. But if you look at the text of the law, you, if you follow the logic, if you are settled overseas, you voluntarily acquire foreign nationality and you automatically lose Chinese nationality, then you are no longer a Chinese national who enjoy permanent right of abode under Article 24 of the Basic Law. You, be, you have become a foreign national. So if you are a foreign national, you no longer enjoy the provisions under Article 24. So if you want right of abode, you have to live in Hong Kong seven years again. But there's no need to worry because under Hong Kong immigration laws, if you lose the, if you lost the right of abode, you still have the right to land, which means you have the right to enter freely to work and study without the need to apply for visa. So basically in Hong Kong, right, we have a lot of um, people that host like, both passports, say like Canadians, for instance, yes. like how how is there like a deadline they have to renounce their 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 choices or anything like that? I think that's it's the biggest really, concern. It's really up to individuals, each individual, to decide if they are so worried about their safety in Hong Kong that they need protection by Canada, Australia. Maybe they they need to do something. You know, the, the people have lived in Hong Kong. 23 years after the reunification and many have seen no need to do anything because China simply turn up what adopt what we call a one eye open one eye shut attitude mm. even though their nationality law article 3 states clearly that China does not recognize due nationality they have disregarded you know, those who hold foreign passports in Hong Kong they just look at those foreign passports as travel documents mm. Okay, here's a, an email from uh, John who says, Prior to the handover, China had negotiated bilateral consular treaties with a number of other countries, including the US and, if I'm not mistaken, Canada. According to these treaties, dual national people were accorded consular protection if they entered China using their foreign passport. They were entitled to no protection if they entered using their PRC passport or home return permits and so on. There was no need for people to renounce their Chinese nationality. I'm sure Regina is very aware of, very aware of this, given her past government roles. Whatever happened to those treaties? Is the current policy of the Chinese and Hong Kong government to disregard those treaties and the long-established practice embodied in them? That's from John. This is it. Well, you have to... Uh, you can't generalise. You know, if any controversial case emerges, you have to look at the text of each bilateral agreement and also 
the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations, all these relevant documents, the nationality status of uh, the person in question, before you can come to a view, you can't generalize. Nationality is a very complicated matter. Immigration Department has lost the case regarding the eligibility for Hong Kong SAR passport of a German child, a child with German nationality but born in Hong Kong. So each case has to be looked at individually. I don't think you can. But, but, but is that is, is John correct that there, there were treaties which uh, where this kind of consular protection was given to people with dual nationality? Is that right? I don't know. I don't know. There may be uh, an agreement applying to mainland China, and there may be separate agreements applying to Hong Kong. Hong okay. Kong has a different history. I I don't know. I can't I can't answer that question. Okay, Rick. I, I think you should yeah. ask the uh, Canadian Consul General yeah, when he comes on, and also you should ask the uh, British uh, Consul General to explain too, because they know what has been applied all these years and what is the change now. But but I I cannot understand because uh, the Chinese government wants to uh, uh, to punish. Uh, the UK and punish the BNO passport holders. But why suddenly extend this treatment to all people with foreign citizenship, as Regina Yip said? You know, in, in for the past 20-odd years, they tu- Beijing turned a blind eye to this. Now, suddenly, all change. Uh, anybody with foreign citizenship, uh, you have to be careful. Or, and if you, if you ask them to choose or to renounce a citizenship, I think many will renounce the Chinese citizenship because they deliberately chose the foreign citizenship. So I think there will be very long queues outside the immigration department. Well, China did not change its position whatsoever. It made no announcement on nationality. All it did is to announce a countermeasure directed at the UK government for its breach of its uh, undertaking about BNO passports. It said nothing about dual nationality. In fact, that statement, you know, basically is targeting BNO passports. The, the recognition of BNO passports in China only. BNO passport holders can still use their passport to travel to other parts of the world, which recognize that. And, they, so and BNO passports have been recognized for many years, 23 years. What about Carrie Lam's announcement about you not accepting dual nationality? I don't it's think not she an would... announcement. She wasn't what? making an announcement. She was replying to media <laughs> inquiry. But but she did say that, and she wasn't saying, "Oh, this is specifically targeting the BNO." She's talking well, in general she... terms about not accepting dual nationality. Uh, she was restating uh, the nation's position on dual nationality, which has not changed. Article 3 says China does not recognize dual nationality. Article 9 says those settled abroad overseas and voluntarily acquired foreign nationality automatically have lost Chinese nationality. China has not changed those positions. It's not for Carrie Lam to make any announcement. Well, I think what she said made many people who hold foreign passports very concerned and very confused. So they want to find out whether, you know, they need to do anything to protect themselves. I don't think they need to do anything unless they they think that they might need consular protection one day. And you know, Uh, there have been U.S. cases recently, you know, 
the U.S. consulate here also made a statement that they don't accept uh, claims for political asylum in Hong Kong, something like that, you know. That's U.S. policies, nothing got to do with Hong Kong's uh, policy on dual nationality or anything like that. I make that point to illustrate that um, consular protection doesn't really mean very much. You know, if you want, <laughs> if you want that sort of protection, it doesn't really give you much protection. You know, I, I you can still right get consular services in the sense of renewing your passports. I don't think that would be a problem. But what about people who hold foreign passports? If they use that to buy airline tickets, if they go to the airport to the counter to check in using their foreign passport, that would be accepted. Except if it's a BNO passport, is that right? They, if they go abroad, I think all that airlines care for is those passports are accepted by the country of destination. Because if they send a passenger with an unreliable passport, they have to bear the cost of bringing that passenger back. So long as they know that, say, a BNO passport is accepted by Belgium or the Netherlands, there will be no problem. You know, no, the, the Hong Kong government has told the travel agents and the airlines. But that, that's, uh, not, that's, that's about returning to Hong Kong. If you bring no, anyone back to Hong Kong, any other part of China with a BNO passport, they will not be recognized. They have to use their permanent ID card or Hong Kong SAR passport. That's all. No, no, Regina, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this you know, directive or whatever it is to the travel agents and the airlines, if someone in Hong Kong call up and want to book an air ticket using a BNO passport, that would not be accepted. If you go to the airport counter, you produce your passport to get your ticket, that would not be accepted. I think that, that, only, that, only, uh, that has only effect within our own jurisdiction. I know. Yeah. So that would but not if they produce their BNO passports, on arrival in Europe, there will be no problem. You know? No, I, I know, understand that. What well, about the immigration you... department is following the directive from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So if you use your American passport to book a ticket, or you use it to get on the flight in Hong Kong, there's no problem. They are no only problem. targeting no the problem. BNO. Because only the BNO passport, you know, the MFA is only was only talking about the BNO passport. If you use an American passport, Canadian passport to go abroad, there will be no problem. I see, I see. Because what the government's been saying is very confusing, particularly in light of the, the, the her statements on dual nationality. Now it is quite, if we trust Regina, now it's quite clear. All of you who have dual nationality have no fear because nothing has changed. Except if you are BNO, then they are targeting you. That's right. But the, the impact only applies to areas under China's jurisdiction, including Hong Kong. Yeah. A couple of other points. Uh, Canada has uh, said that there will be a new uh, three-year visa uh, uh, and uh, allowing uh, this question of whether Canada will allow holders to turn that status into a permanent citizenship. Maybe that's something that we'll talk about with the Consul General, as you say, after, after the news at nine. Uh, uh, Regina, would you expect similar countermeasures to the way Beijing responded to the BNO uh, if Canada uh, offered a path to citizenship of that kind? Um, that sort of measure, first, I think we have to assess the impact, whether it would lead to any massive outflow of Hong Kong people. 
but um, I, I think the countermeasure directed at BNO is really because the UK government breached its own undertaking, and there is no, no ground whatsoever for the UK to allege that China has breached the joint declaration for enacting national security law. They have not been able to point to any specific provision in the joint declaration which prohibits China from doing that. So that's totally unreasonable. I think different considerations apply to Canada. And, and another point that's regularly made in discussion of this is is, is about the irony of um, the, the families of uh, of many leading pro-establishment people and government officials and so on uh, being uh, of citizens of, of citizens of the UK, of Australia, or Canada, of America, or, or whatever. Um, people say this is a this is this is hypocrisy. This is a dreadful uh, irony uh, at, at very least. Mrs. Yip, do you want to respond to those comments? Not really. I gave up my British passport when I was appointed Director of Immigration. All the senior officials, principal officials, exco members are not allowed to have right of vote. Again, outside. the point would be about their families. There are the, so many of them have families who, uh, who live overseas. What's wrong with that? That's part of Hong Kong's uh, historical background and our realities, which Beijing took into account back in the 1980s. That's part of a very pragmatic and accommodating attitude towards Hong Kong. Why should we change that? Okay. Well, Regina, many thanks for joining us, uh, New People's Party Chairwoman, and thank you to uh, Emily Lam, a former Democratic Party lawmaker. We're going to be joined by the Consul General of Canada after the news at nine. Uh, drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. Or call us on 233-88266 if you've got a comment for him. And later we're going to be uh, thinking about the uh, latest on that second impeachment trial for Donald Trump in Washington. The weather cool this morning, sunny periods during the day, temperatures up to 22 degrees, 16 degrees the latest readings and the relative humidity now at 83%. To impose additional measures and to work with international partners for an immediate return to democracy. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chats on a Thursday morning, last one of the week, last one of uh, this lunar year. Um, we are joined today by uh, Nixie Lamb as the uh, co-host. We were talking in the first part of the programme about dual nationality, the issue with uh, Regina Yip and uh, Emily Lau. We're joined now by Jeff Nankivell, who's the Consul General of Canada in Hong Kong and uh, Macau. Later, also going to be uh, catching up with the latest on the impeachment trial for Donald Trump uh, in Washington with Ross Feingold. If you want to comment, you've got any thoughts, call us on 233-88266. Join the conversation or you can comment on our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Or you can always email us, backchat at rthk.hk. I think there's a few kind of uh, comments which were uh, addressed or uh, intended primarily for Emily Lau or Regina Yip, uh, but uh, um, too late. Um, here's one that is addressed for Nixie. Um, I'm just going to uh, edit it a, a little bit um, for length and so we don't get sort of a too uh, derailed. Matthew says, um, uh, this week uh, Nixie Lamb told uh, ABC Australia's foreign correspondent, I don't think a lot of people actually read the details of the national security legislation. You can still do protests. You can say your viewers online. Just... Uh, don't say you want Hong Kong independence, take actions or accept foreign money to promote things like that, then you'll be totally fine. Um, the people who Nixie knows control her political future would agree with her mischaracterization, but certainly the vast majority of Hong Kong people would not. Um, the program mentioned that Nixie 
uh, had spent eight years of her education in Australia. Uh, on the topic of dual citizenship, Nixie has previously stated on this program she's not an Australian citizen or passport holder. Can she also confirm she's not currently an Australian permanent resident? No. Nope. Th- <laughs> there we go. Uh, I think this kind of transparency is important for public figures choosing to advocate their views on these topics. And uh, for people's um, record, I've never ever applied a BNO passport before. Do, do you agree that that kind of transparency, do you think it's important to know what kind I, of permanent resident, residency or well, passports people hold? I, I think... Who, in, who are in, looking for public office? In this sort of like discussion hype, I think it might be an information that people really want to know. But um, as you mentioned earlier about like people's family members and stuff, it's really something that you can't actually control your family members on holding what sort of passport. So, uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of discussion about like some um, some like uh, political leaders, like why your families uh, or kids are living abroad, and you can't actually control your family members in that way. I mean, just 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 a very weird reasoning. So as like, oh, oh you study in Australia, well, uh, I, I think you'll be like Australian like passport holders and stuff. I, I do I, I do get a lot of doubt from that and I never heard that like oh and and they have questions about oh why you're studying abroad but they never ask that questions to like opposition parties that is study in China I mean just, just a very weird sort of like reasoning trying to make excuses on on, on pushing people in the poor establishment side Okay. Um, Rick says, uh, why did China have no issues when Macau was offered a full Portuguese citizenship uh, uh, when were to communist rule? So that was before 1999. Yeah, everyone in Macau could could, could gain a full uh, uh, Portuguese citizenship. Uh, CW says, Regina Ip has been quoted that only low-class Hong Kong residents will move to the UK. Isn't that an insult to Hong Kong people trying to make a better lives for themselves? Um, Bowen says, Regina said that if someone has settled in a foreign country as opposed to only having paid money as an investment immigrant, that person will automatically lose Chinese nationality. But people may travel back and forth. Uh, between that foreign country and Hong Kong after having settled in a foreign country and acquired foreign nationality there. So if someone comes back and stays in Hong Kong for a period after having settled abroad, will he or she be regarded as a Chinese national? There's a room about someone who is treated as a Chinese national after having lived in the US as an American national for 25 years. Um, That's from uh, Bowen. Um... Uh, S says, uh, what happens when a Hong Kong Chinese child is adopted by British nationals and the child has British nationality? How do the parents give up the Chinese nationality of their Chinese child? That question uh, is from S. No immediate answer. Uh, and uh, one more comment, uh, which we'll get to on, on, on uh, Canada's status, perhaps as we, 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 we talk to the uh, Consul General now. Mr. Nankovar, good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, Regina, you know, was just basically saying that uh, nothing has changed. Um, the latest statements are really a, a, a reminder. Uh, in response to the uh, change in policy, as it's seen by, by, the, uh, by the UK over BNOs, uh, as far as you're concerned, have things changed uh, with regard to uh, dual nationality uh, and how it plays out in Hong Kong? From, uh, from our experience, what has changed is uh, practice. Uh, 
the, the law has always been clear, and, and we have always been clear with Canadians, and it's not a new announcement for us to remind Canadians uh, of the, the nationality law of the People's Republic of China, uh, which does not recognize dual nationality, and it's not a new thing for us to be reminding Canadians um, that their dual nationality may not be recognized, their Canadian nationality may not be recognized, and they may not have access to consular assistance in the country or territory of their other nationality other than Canadian. But what's changed is the, the practice in Hong Kong. And to be very clear, uh, since 1997, in, in our experience for Canada, uh, people who identified themselves as Canadians, if they were arrested um, or they were in the justice system in detention or, or serving prison sentences, if they, if they were uh, Canadians in addition to being uh, a, a uh, Hong Kong citizen of China, um, we would always be provided consular access. And that was the case up until uh, sometime in January when we became aware that uh, there were uh, a few Canadians, or not a large number of cases, but there were some Canadians who were serving uh, prison sentences who were uh, all of a sudden being asked to, to make a declaration of uh, primary nationality. That's, that's when the, so the practice appears to have changed in January. And, and the concern that we have is that you have, in some cases, individuals who for, for years uh, have had access to the support from consular officials from our team at the Consulate General who uh, all of a sudden are, are going to be denied that support. Uh, and there's been no explanation for why this change in practice. And we have not been able to get clarification, for example, on what, what's the actual instrument that people are, are signing or what kind of declaration are they making. Well, well, are they being there has that, been a change. Well, are they being denied that support or are they just being asked? Uh, they, they can have that support, if, surely, if they choose... Their, their uh, Canadian mm -hmm. citizenship. They can't have their cake and eat it. Well, yes, and that, and that seems to be the, the case uh, for those who have, who have told us that they, that they indicated to the authorities that they wished to be recognized as, as Canadians. Now, that ha they were also told at that time uh, that uh, there, there were implications, there can be implications for them in terms of their status in Hong Kong. But, you know, these are personal choices that, that individuals uh, need to make. But another issue, another concern that we have is that these people were not being uh, provided an opportunity to seek legal counsel, to get advice either from, from a lawyer or from, or from our own uh, consular staff um, at the time that they're being asked to make this decision. And, the, and there are some people that we haven't been able to access, and we've been told it's because they haven't, they haven't made a decision yet. Uh, Canada has also unveiled uh, a, a new class of uh, work permits uh, in what's been described as a, as a lifeboat uh, scheme. That was a, that was announced uh, last year. Um, what will be the practical effect of that? So th 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 those are three-year visas, is that right? Yes. So we we call it the Hong Kong Pathway, and mm -hmm. it is uh, it's a three-year open work visa for Hong Kongers who have graduated within the last five years from higher education. So, so what's the deal? Like, do they get to apply a permanent residency after the, the visa, or is there a review time or specific uh, occupation they have to take? 
No, so this this is an open work permit. So what what uh, what differentiates it from our programs, for example, for skilled workers, is if you don't have to meet a particular occupational uh, category, uh, and and you don't have to have a job lined up uh, in advance. Uh, uh, so it's an open work permit. But um, then, once you if you're accepted, once you're in Canada then uh, there will be a the kind of normal pathway for people who come to Canada to work. If you, if you work for a certain period of time and, and you have a, a permanent job, then you can be in a position to extend your stay in Canada. And, and there's a path to uh, permanent residence that, that follows. And then once you're, once you're a permanent resident and, and you reside in Canada for a certain period, then, then you can apply for citizenship. And, that, and that's true for anyone coming from anywhere. Uh, and, and and how long do you have to stay before you can before you're eligible for citizenship? Uh, well, once you become a permanent resident uh, of Canada, you need to uh, spend at least three years in a five-year period residing in Canada. And actually, I'd like I'd like to make the point that uh, as far certainly for Canada, uh, you can't become a citizen of Canada. Uh, without actually residing in Canada, so there was talk earlier on the show about people, uh, you know, people getting foreign passports without settling in those countries. That 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 doesn't happen with Canada. It's not possible. Sorry, and, and just Canada. sorry, sorry, I, I kind of missed it. But just just to clarify, can can you turn that that period of uh, in the visa, uh, that those, those three years, uh, into a permanent citizenship? Uh, no, you. So you you come on a work permit. Yeah. Then you apply. Then then you apply for permanent residence. Permanent uh, residence. Once, okay. Once you once you once you've been in Canada uh, for uh, for a certain period of time, and then uh, and then once you're a permanent resident, uh, then you can apply for citizenship. Right. And what would be the qualification for for having that permanent residence? The qualification for permanent, permanent residency is that is that you have been you've been in Canada you've been working um, and that uh, that you've you you have a job you can extend your your working situation there. So that it's sounds not, it's not something it's not something that happens right away. So as, one but that sounds likely that if you if you take up the work if you take up that this visa yeah. then you would. That way you'd meet the requirements for for residency for permanent residency. Well, it's it's so it's, sim it's and then similar. And that to, could lead on to citizenship. Yeah, for people, it's 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 similar to uh, for people who go to study in Canada, and it's a very popular program for mm -hmm. uh, young people who go to study in Canada. If you study uh, full time in Canada for a couple of years, you can then get uh, an open work permit for another two years to stay on and, and to work in Canada. And that, that also can lead to permanent residence. So this is something that we already have in, in Canada. We're a very open country for immigration, and, and we're raising our global targets for, uh, for new immigrants uh, year on year over the past few years. If I, it, 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 Hugh, if I can make one point, mm -hmm. it, it came up earlier about the, the Canada-China consular agreement. One of your listeners yeah. very alertly pointed out um, that there is a consular agreement between Canada and China that is in effect. It was signed in 1997. It took effect in 1999. It includes uh, Hong Kong in its application. It, 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 it has from the start. Um, 
And there's a, a very important point about that when it comes to dual nationality, which is in the Canada-China bilateral agreement, uh, it, it does specify that for uh, nationals, uh, for people, in our case, let's say coming from Canada to China, including coming to Hong Kong, if they have entered on their Canadian travel documents, they will be treated as Canadian nationals for purposes of consular support. And, mm -hmm. and it's our experience in mainland China that that, that is the case. Uh, even though dual nationality is, uh, is not recognized by the government of China, for the purposes of consular support, for people who have uh, the agreements as a, a, a potential claim on nationality in both places, uh, if they if they enter as Canadians and they're 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 there you know on a visa as a Canadian, then they will be treated as a Canadian for consular access purposes, and we would expect that to be the case in Hong Kong. Now that the practice has changed uh, with regard to how the dual nationals are being treated in the Hong Kong justice system, but, but you, that... so Canadians don't ha don't have to uh, they don't have to uh, renounce uh, their their Hong Kong uh, status, according to the consular agreement, at least. Um, uh, so, our, so, our so, if, so, if so, if Canadian or people holding Canadian passports uh, in, in Hong Kong, if they leave uh, Hong Kong and then come back in using their Canadian passport, then they then they can enjoy that kind of uh, uh, protection. Uh, protection, the consular protection, yeah. and dual nationality. Yes, that hasn't changed. There's no, no breach. I mean, it hasn't. No, it hasn't it ha it, I mean, in the case of this, the, of the person, you know, the case of the uh, the person in prison, um, that didn't apply then because they hadn't entered on a Canadian passport. Well, we're not clear because okay. we haven't we haven't been given clear information on that. Our understanding is the people who are who are serving in prison have have been asked to to make a, a kind of declaration, um, uh, and if they and if they declare uh, that their primary nationality as Canadian, that the consular access is restored. And if they declare their primary nationality as Chinese or Hong Kong Chinese, uh, then the consular access is denied. And that's a, that's a change for them, and it's a change in practice in in Hong Kong. That's very interesting. Thank you. That's very helpful. I mean, the, the, um, the emailer also said that... Uh that applied to the U.S. and, if I'm not mistaken, Canada. Do you know if it applies to the U.S. and to other countries? I'm, I, this is our, uh, sorry, the, about our bilateral agreement. Mm. Yeah, uh, are, there, I, are there similar agreements with other places, do you know? I, do, I don't know. You'd, you'd, mm. you'd have to ask them. Hmm. Uh, okay. Well, well, many thanks for, for uh, joining us. Uh, Jeff uh, Nankovell, Consul General of uh, Canada in uh, Hong Kong and Macau, thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us. Uh, Bob, in an email, says, uh, Dear Backchat, I'm British, a Hong Kong resident since 1985, now retired in Zhuhai. Uh, my intention is to apply for PRC naturalisation, leading to the issue of a Hong Kong passport. I fully understand this will mean renouncing my UK nationality. Uh, the services provided by the UK Consular Service to British expats has decreased significantly over time, one example being that consulates do not offer any assistance with passport issues. Happy and wealthy wishes for the year of the ox. That comes uh, from Bob. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. And uh, hope we addressed uh, some of your questions uh, and uh, your concerns uh, on those uh, issues today. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, and... Uh,
Yeah, any more comments? Nope, that's it. Uh, on that topic, we wanted to turn finally today to the question of uh, impeachment. Mike, in an email, says you've all been witnesses to one of the seedier aspects of the First Amendment to the Constitution. Freedom of speech in the United States lets you freely tell a lie. It gives you freedom to voice your opinion, even if you willfully know that it is not a factually correct opinion. For senators to tell you President Trump is your commander-in-chief is a blatant lie unless you are in the military. President Trump was my president. He was not my commander. Democratic senators started the argument by lying to you, and it goes down from there. If the president committed a crime, he could and should be taken to court. He didn't, and he won't be taken to court. This is just theatre at US taxpayers' expense. Understand what's going on here. You'll be sick and tired of these games. Democrats fear this man. That is uh, from Mike. And uh, Alan says, the evidence is clear but irrelevant. The verdict in the Trump impeachment is foregone. There will not be the required 67 out of 100 votes to convict. The Republican senators are afraid of retaliation from Trump's base, both in physical violence and the party primaries. I'm sure our own American Mike will demonstrate the hopelessness of talking facts with them. Their mindset is exactly the same as the pro-Beijing blues, rooted in racism, xenophobia <laughs> and paranoia, promoted by a powerful media that demonises their opponents. Opponents. Trump, the wannabe authoritarian, just wishes he could have simply cancelled the election as Kerry did. Uh, fortunately, the US system of checks and balances had enough safeguards to prevent that. We have no such protection. That is from Alan. Once again, our email backchat.rthk.hk. Ross Feingold joins us now, a former Asia chairman of uh, Republicans abroad. Uh, abroad. Uh, Ross, uh, good day to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, 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 for joining us. Um, so uh, a lot of commentators have said that... Uh, the uh, defence has really started badly when it, when it comes to the trial. Uh, kind of been outflanked by that uh, video um, that the, uh, the, the opening comments were kind of uh, rambling. You know, you've had the decision that it is constitutional to, to do this. How do you rate uh, the, uh, the progress of the impeachment trial in Washington so far? Uh, you're correct. Uh, the first presenter, the first lawyer on behalf of President Trump's defence uh, didn't seem really up to the job. The, the second lawyer was, was a bit more uh, robust in, in his discussion of, of the constitutional, constitutionality issues. But look, uh, we're moving on from that because the, the, the senators did vote by majority as to the constitutionality. And I'm sure many of your listeners probably heard that even many conservative lawyers uh, had said that it's constitutional to have an impeachment uh, trial for a, a federal official who's no longer in office. Uh, the Democratic, Democratic impeachment managers from the House have used a lot of uh, very, very compelling, dramatic video evidence, which would be great in court if uh, we're talking about the criminal prosecution of, of those rioters. But uh, ultimately, we're coming back to the same issue that, that uh, you're, you're listener Mike identified that you read whether or not this would all rise to uh, a conviction for President Trump himself. And, uh, and we know politically uh, that's not going to happen since there, as of now there doesn't appear to be enough Republican senators to vote for it. But uh, more broadly, there'll never be a consensus whether or not uh, the act of making that speech you know, rises to the level of, of a, a conviction in an impeachment context. Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, I was reading one commentary which was saying that 
uh, in the first trial, contrasting this trial with the first trial, in the first trial, uh, Trump, I think, sent out 130, I think it was, tweets in a single day, which was a record for him uh, at the time. Um, uh, he was extremely uh, active. And as I say, he's kind of, uh, and his defence team are on, on, on the back foot in this. But uh, the point was that in the first trial, he was selling it to the public. He was making it, uh, he was making it a public issue. Uh, and um, isn't the argument that this is what the senators have succeeded in doing with that video, which is sort of eminently, you know, uh, repeatable and, you know, made for social media and so on. This is really a, a trial uh, of, in public, uh, it's widely expected that the uh, the Senate itself, uh, you know, won't deliver any surprises. But this will change minds of the people in America. Uh, of course, it's all relevant for the historical record to show these videos. And uh, on on uh, Wednesday afternoon, U.S. time during the the presentation by the House managers, they showed additional video. That was the first time. We, we were seeing and not it, just for uh, not just for history, but uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in America watched that, and um, you know, and and it had an impact. But but the the, the interesting thing about about that observation is uh, knowing the the political challenge of getting enough senate, Republican senators, and knowing that frankly that look, there's just not a consensus about whether or not this does you know the speech, the act of the speech itself rises to the level of removal. It, it goes back again, you know, to be fair to Mike, to some of the points he made that. You know, if this isn't for the historical purposes, then then is it just for 2022 midterm election? Is it for the 2024 election? And then you know we're going to get we're going to go around in circles because we're going to say, well, okay, the boy, the Democrats really doing this. Is it just for some short term political gain? Uh, and maybe this really belongs in another form, such as the criminal uh, the criminal justice uh, uh, system, which is where the rioters themselves are being prosecuted. You know. There, there is an incitement statute. Uh, as of now, it looks like uh, the, the relevant authorities, the relevant uh, prosecutors are not going to try and bring a, an incitement charge against President Trump because they know how difficult it would be to get in a conviction uh, just based on the words he used that day. Okay, well, talk of the devil and he will appear. Mike is on the line. Mike, good morning. Thank you, Hugh. I'm not privy have, has uh, Trump's uh, team, have they showed their videos yet? Because uh, I think I think their videos. I think there was a, there was a video of uh, uh, of uh, Democrats saying that they wanted to impeach Trump. I think that was shown. No, uh, well, I, I read no, about I that. Think, it's I anyway. think they wanted to show. I think they wanted to show Pelosi and Waters and all these all these uh, Democratic senators that called for violence. Get up in their face if you if you see a Trump supporter. Get up into his face. Really start. I mean, these were these were. So if you're going to if you're going to be even handed, then you're going to then you're going to then you're going to impeach Pelosi. You're going to impeach, um, you know, all the other senators that really called out for violence. Number one. Number two, I just want to leave with this. And this is something you all have to understand. Senators don't have to tell us the truth. They get up there and give a speech, and it doesn't have to be truthful. Mm. And that's just. And when you understand that, you'll understand that it is just theater. President Trump is not our commander in chief, unless you are in the military. But that isn't how the senators tried to tried to um, um, portray, uh, portray him. Well, he's. You know, the, 
He's the, he's the commander-in-chief, isn't he? No, he's not. Only to the, those people that are in the military. Is he, is he your commander-in-chief? If you're a private citizen, he's not your commander-in-chief. But I think Mike, Mike also raises an interesting point because it was the subject of a lot of the, the Democratic managers on Wednesday. You know, they're, they're going back in time and they're going forward in time. So you know, they're going back. There's a lot of discussion about uh, comments, tweets, et cetera, made by then-President Trump in the months before the election, saying the election, if I don't win the election, it's going to be unfair. So there was a lot of discussion of that. Then there was also a lot of discussion about President Trump's inaction as the violence escalated, and, and they're also uh, bundling that into their justification for a conviction. Uh, so you see whether it's before or after the actual words, and I think this goes to some of the points Mike is making, that the, the, the Democrats are still struggling with what specifically is the reason why the senators should vote for a conviction. And, well, uh, President Trump's tweets were erased. His tweets were taken down, and his tweets said, people, calm down, go home, be peaceful. And they were all taken down. Well, okay. the Democrats are, I mean, the Democrats are know trying to say you know, President Trump should have ordered out more additional you know, federal resources to put, put an end to the violence. So, they're, they're, again, they're bundling a, a, a number of actions uh, into their their justification for a conviction, I think it kind of weakens their their argument. Though. I mean, I think their best argument would be to focus on uh, the incitement, but but again, whether or not that would rise to the level of, of conviction is, is it's dubious. It's interesting that the people that listened to the speech were not the people that went and broke into the Capitol. So how could those people listening to the speech, it was impossible for them to get to the Capitol because the speech ended at one eleven, And at that time, they were already breaking into the Capitol. Look at the look at the timeline. Epic Times really has a great timeline. And it's impossible for those people that have listened to the speech to to be the same people that uh, entered the Capitol. So. You know, your, your case falls completely apart if you go to court. It goes okay. completely apart. All right. Well, Mike and, and uh, Ross Feingold, thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, Ross, former Aisha chairman of Republicans Board, thank you very much indeed. Nixie, thank you very much indeed. And uh, Happy New Year uh, to you. Okay, uh, other thoughts. TC on Facebook says, I often wonder how much consular protection the Canadian government can provide me while in Hong Kong as I use my ID card to enter. But now, given recent developments, I have to consider using Canadian passport to enter Hong Kong in the future. It's also interesting that those with both SAR and American passports aren't uh, affected uh, yet. Uh... Dan says, Dear Bakshan, it should be clear to all the Dems that all the Dems and the media cannot get enough of Trump. They're obsessed with him. Reminds me of a few Adele songs I could name. Their greatest obsession, however, is expressed in a growing ominous lust for power and control, which will lead to a one-party system and the destruction of a once-great democracy. Uh, and Chris says, Chris Exline, the impeachment will become a non-event as there are insufficient votes to proceed with the conviction. Trump's absence from social media keeps the subject moot. Uh, and uh, Henry says the Democrats wanted the second impeachment to go through to a successful ending. That's also a wish of half the American voters. Frankly and objectively speaking, Trump is a disaster to the U.S. 
Um, and uh, on the issue of the, the to and fro and the discussion, okay, let's uh, d d do this quickly. Uh, Tom says, uh, I agree that if I wanted to follow pe uh, people's petty arguments, I would log on to any social media platform. It does bring the show down a few notches. That's from Tom. Jim says, I've been listening to RTHK Backchat since 1976. I don't think so. Uh, I listen for the opportunity to be involved in what my community is thinking about community stuff. If dumpster divers want to discuss their longing for those bad old colonial days or how much they hate the memory of a character that died four decades ago, then maybe those listeners should find another outlet. Or maybe RTHK should drop the back chat format for a Facebook social media hour for whinging expatriates. Roy says, more support for Nick's viewpoint. Please stop reading out mutual attacks between backchat correspondents. They can carry out their vendettas on Facebook. Um, and Herman says, it seems that Hong Kong district councillors could face disqualification if investigations uncover past misconduct. I wonder how many district councillors camped out at foreign embassies in the rain last night, hoping to be the first through this door this morning, and how many of them will later complain to the media of inhumane treatment because the government didn't hand out free umbrellas to them. Uh, Mount Canada's great legend in his own mind will undoubtedly need to unload on this because even though he expressed fears one could be arrested for commenting on Backchat, that didn't shut him up. Unfortunately, that means that as his message is read, the rest of us could lose seven minutes of our lives we will never get back. I have no problem getting rid of district councillors or any politicians wasting my tax dollars promoting their own personal agendas, political or otherwise, or initiatives that harm rather than benefit society. Uh, and uh, Bowen says, Backchat is a programme in which people need to be free to debate issues of interest and significance, and the focus should always be on the issues, never on personal personal attributes characteristics uh another issue is intimidation we need to be sensitive to and honest about the historical and contemporary politico-linguistic vocabulary of the people's republic use of the descriptions like people's enemy anti-government and so on are used to intimidate people into silence taking into account what's been happening in the mainland for decades backchat should not be used as a forum to facilitate intimidation for example to stifle speech on the show last is the frequent use in some messages of odious metaphors which itself introduce an odor into the show um, to stick to the issues and arguments thereon, cut out the crap that comes from Bowen. Well, there's a good, a good message 